0: Hello, my name is Danny Flood. Thank you so much for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for living the adventurous lifestyle, pursuing your dreams. I'm excited today because I'm joined by a very interesting young nomad. His name is Justin Alexander. Justin quit his highly lucrative position at a tech startup two years ago. He had it all, but he was unhappy. So he retired at 32 to travel the world indefinitely. And since then, he's been in all types of different uh, adventures and misadventures, and I just wanted to welcome you, Justin.
1: Thanks a lot, Danny. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: So maybe you could give us a little bit of backstory about you and uh, where you're at now.
1: Uh, Okay, let me, uh, yes, me. Uh, Well, I've kind of grown up all over the U.S., Uh, lived in Florida, South Carolina, Colorado, Montana, Oregon, Washington, New Jersey, and California so I've kind of always been nomadic. Um, I don't really feel like things have suddenly changed for me. But uh, but yeah, um, I uh, dropped out of high school at 15 to go uh, move out of state and uh, move away from my uh, my mom's house up to Washington where I attended a wilderness survival school where four or five days a week I spent all my... Instead of high school, I was in the woods starting fires by rubbing sticks together and tracking animals and stuff. And then uh, broke my back uh, in a car accident at 19, and kind of stopped doing that for a while. Moved uh, around. You've um, done a lot of jobs and stuff. Been homeless. Uh, <laughs> you know, lived out in the woods for weeks at a time without any money. And uh, so,
0: were you in wilderness school uh, before? Uh, were you doing that instead of <laughs> What's high school? That? You said you were in wilderness school when you were fifteen. Were you doing that instead of high school? Yeah, yeah, I totally dropped out of high school Get a GED till like fifteen years later just to make my mom happy.
1: But uh, oh well. <laughs> yeah, worked out all right. I mean, I definitely uh, it didn't work out all right straight away. I mean, I was fine all along, but I definitely was homeless, and I, you know. I've done, like, all the crappy jobs that everyone that doesn't have money does. But um,
0: So where were you when you were 21, just starting out your adult life?
1: Uh, well, I was still recovering from my back injury, <laughs> so I couldn't, like, move around a whole lot. Um, I was still uh, teaching a little bit of survival stuff but moving out of that, and uh, I was living in New Jersey where the, the, the largest survival school in North America is called the Tracker School. Uh, I was working there when I was 17. So um, I worked there from like 17 to 21, about. And then I went to like massage school after that and moved down to Florida and then moved out to California and <laughs> joined a rock band and, uh, <laughs> and became like a personal trainer and massage therapist, rock guy. And then uh, I also was contracted by. Um, Marine Scout Snipers multiple times going down to like 29 Palms and uh, and Camp Pendleton to teach wilderness survival skills and tracking and escape and evasion for Marine Scout Snipers. Um, so I've <laughs> occasionally been flo- like flown over to Thailand to teach jungle survival courses. So I still kind of occasionally do that, but it's not like I'm not pursuing it as a career. It's just my it's a fun thing to do.
0: Well, wow. so um, you were you were pretty was, set on yeah. this that you were pretty set in this path from an early age. Like, do you, you never? worry about your prospects, like how you were going to make it in the real adult world?
1: No, no, I've definitely, I've really, really been all about pursuing my passion. And my dad was a big Joseph Campbell guy, so, you know, right on, he's (laughs) a good dad. Um, And helped really be supportive of me doing really whatever it was, whereas my mom was a little more, um, you know, afraid of uh, me struggling my whole life, you know, and rightfully so. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's been there's been a lot of things that seem like destiny when you kind of like follow your passion and, and are open to things. So, you know, things don't always go right, but, um, I'm really happy with how things ended up, you know, considering the fact that I've almost died lots of times.
0: <laughs> so how did you go from being a young man, uh, with these wilderness skills and, uh, teaching, uh, Marines and teaching in Thailand, uh, these skills, how'd you go from that to being part of a tech startup?
1: Yeah. Well, um, Cause you're kind of, you're
0: kind know, of all
1: I'm, over I'm the know, board, weren't you? It's a, it is all over the place. And I'm, um, at that mm-hmm. time in my life, I was, uh, let's see, I was in a rock band. We had just toured Japan, and I met this girl, and then we were <laughs> back and forth. And so I was like, kind of taken away from the rock band, and was starting to think about, um, I need to do something that's going to enable me to live the type of lifestyle that I want. And being a rock star is not the type of lifestyle I want. You know, like <laughs> fame and money and fun is great, but that's like when I look into the future like really any option on that path, I'm not going to be happy because I just, what I ultimately want is like complete freedom, you know, and that's what money is to me. It's so, uh, you know, it's not so much about having stuff. It's just about having options. And, um, so what does freedom mean to you, Justin? (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, well, let's see. When we talk about financial freedom, I just mean, um, money not playing a significant role in your, in your decision making process, you know, So, like, I don't uh, uh, – the reason I like money is because I don't have to, um, you know, like, see how much a gallon of gas is before I can go, you know, can go uh, to the gas station. Whereas, you know, now I don't have to worry about stuff like that. Um, Or if I get a – you know, meet someone and they're like, hey, uh, we're going to Russia. You want to come? I'll be like, sure. Let me just see if I have anything else I've committed to. And if not, then great. You know? (laughs) So uh, that's – I mean, that's what freedom is. Freedom is – to me, just the ability to do uh, whatever I want to do, and it's not just financial, you know, it's a, there's a lot of uh, mental things and, and self-work, I think, that go along with that.
0: So why is it that most people don't have that freedom to just jump off to Russia? Besides, uh, <clears throat> I mean, you could argue that it's a financial matter, but uh, why do people keep themselves locked into uh, a cycle of being controlled by money versus using it to find freedom the way that you do?
1: Um.
0: I mean, it's a tough question, but... <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah, I totally understand. And uh, um, I don't understand why people um, don't. Um, I think most of... Uh, granted, uh, I don't have a family. I'm 33 years old now, and I don't have a family or any real commitments. Uh, so I, I really do have a lot of freedom. Now, if I did have kids and, and a wife and stuff, and that, that's kind of always kept me, not single, but not married and not settled because I just know this about myself. And any time I've tried to be any other way, it just makes me and whoever I'm with really unhappy. So um, it's kind of, uh, I'm kind of getting into relationship stuff here, but you know, finding it, <laughs> finding people who like you the way you are is a really big thing. It's really important for me. And you know, surrounding myself with the types of people that I want to be like and the type of people that respect me as opposed to people that uh, talk to me as if... Um, I'll never grow up and I'm playing Peter Pan, you know, <laughs> but which Justin, is like, people really say that. And like, yeah. it, it, when it comes from someone, when it comes from someone that you love, it's like, wow, <laughs> man, maybe, I know maybe I'm wrong about all this stuff, but no, I'm definitely not. This is, this is definitely the left for me. Um,
0: you don't want a woman um, to tell you that you need to conform or that you need to change, uh...
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the thing is, it, I I can understand to a degree why people say never leave their town if they're never exposed to anything. You know, mm-hmm. like I was exposed to books oh, as a kid, that, uh, um, and, and movies and stuff. Like my heroes were all were all these nomadic, like like mystic, you know, <clears throat> who could survive in the wilderness, or these ninja type characters, and they were not they were not this. Normal, um, you know, <laughs> conventional life heroes. You know, like these guys. Those the type of. You know, uh, I can't even think of any of any uh, of anyone that fits that. But like, for example, uh, my heroes growing up were like Conan the Barbarian when I was little. Uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger. That dude was awesome, and I just rewatched it, and I'm telling you, you should watch it and look at it, look at it, instead of looking at this as Arnold Schwarzenegger. Look at it, look at the movie as here's this, the like kind of this mystical philosophical dude. And like, when you watch it like this and without judging it, it's a really great movie, but yeah. yeah so, I mean, he was one of them. I grew up reading the, uh, series by Tom Brown. Um, and, uh, he was raised by an Apache and Stocking stalking wolf. And this guy was like, um, he was an Apache scout and he basically was like a nature ninja. Um, and so that was like who I wanted to be from age 10 till, um, definitely until 10 till 20
0: um, and it just it just seems natural doesn't it
1: yeah well i mean uh we, we all grow up with heroes and it's just like what you focus your attention on is kind of what you become i think and i i i kind of blocked uh this i kind of i don't know i i don't really find that much uh um, sorry I'm, I'm totally losing uh, Justin, you, I'm, I'm, <laughs> sure
0: you're, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with carl sagan and his work right um, oh yeah, of course i love yeah, and this is just how i I remember reading how he said once that uh you know for ninety nine point nine percent of our existence as humans, we were nomadic um hunters and foragers, you know, and uh it's only within the the last like uh maybe two thousand years or so uh, that we became you know sedentary and, and this this lifestyle has left us uh, restless because we haven't forgotten yeah and so you've just been living this whole nomadic lifestyle uh because i just want to go through some of your highlights uh or some of the things that i researched about you uh, you were living with a, a spear and a loincloth in indonesia um <laughs> that's a nice picture <laughs> yeah, you went to uh you're living in tibet for a while in the kingdom of Bustang. you've been uh you had a thai family uh teaching yeah. you like these spells and stuff like in one village I, I could go on and on and on, but uh, I want to hear it from you. And but first, let's go back to uh, this is all post the startup. So how how again did you get into this startup, and what was that all about?
1: So um, it was definitely uh, like I said, it was uh, kind of things were finishing up with the band, and I was looking, I was looking for something to you know the whole the whole four hour work week, the idea of lifestyle design. Really, the only thing I took away from 4-Hour Workweek was the idea of lifestyle design. Right. <laughs> uh, if you ask me about the book, that's what I'd say it's about. But um, I definitely was in a place where I was open and looking for opportunities. And uh, it just I just really happened into making a great friends with someone that uh, thought I would be uh, – I was in a place in my life where I was in between jobs, kind of like didn't really have anything going for me, didn't really have to. I was going to become a Navy SEAL, so I was like – training for that um full-time and and then like i just made a great connection with a with someone who's now a dear friend and we uh started a company uh so the uh, do you want to talk about that for a second
0: yeah absolutely so um up until that point when you learned this concept of lifestyle design you really felt like you had no clear direction you're kind of well, just floating around yes,
1: in my <laughs> teens i did in my teens i was like i was the most passionate uh person I knew when, you know, when I was like, I was the guy going out there and like making shelters out of fallen trees and sleeping in them, shivering all nights at age 15 and like spending hours and days and weeks trying to start a fire by rubbing two sticks together. Like I had a lot of passion and, um, <laughs> in my twenties, I was a little directionless until I first traveled outside the States in, uh, 2006. I spent a summer in Nepal on a filmmaking, uh, expedition. And I went along as a medic. I was trying to get onto this trip, and I was able to convince them to take me on as a wilderness first responder. So I got a, a trip out to um, Nepal, which totally changed my life. And then from that point on, I had purpose again, you know, that was outside of just, like, making money. And I was like, this is this is the kind of stuff that makes me really happy. And everyone gets that, you know, the first time they go off and have an adventure.
0: How can someone sign up for a wilderness first responder if they want to? Uh...
1: Uh- just Google it. Like first responder training is awesome. I mean, I I highly recommend that everyone get at least basic first aid CPR because I've saved people's lives before, and it's probably the best feeling in the world. You know, like uh, there was a little girl in Nepal who fell out of a two-story window and split her head open, and I like mm-hmm. ran her like 20 miles to a doctor, and we had a helicopter out in Kathmandu. And there was uh, another guy who got all pilled out in London who had died and was overdosing on the street, and everyone was taking was standing around filming him like for YouTube or something. Yeah, and I was, like, ran up and uh, gave him, like, uh, well, he was choking, so I, like, rolled him over in the recovery position. Then his heart stopped, and I had to, like, give him uh, chest compressions, and he started puking. Yeah, so, like, (laughs) saving people's lives is a big deal. I definitely recommend that people learn basic first aid CPR. And then the next step up, I would say, is wilderness first responder, especially if you're going to be doing outdoor um, and the whole point of that is it's like a two week super intensive and you learn how to stabilize and evacuate. So basically how to keep people from dying. Um, and and so, learn a ton, you learn know, yeah, you'll learn a ton of useful stuff for yourself as well.
0: And so people you can know. find that. Do they uh, sign up for Knowles, uh, the National Outdoor Leadership School or where's
1: uh, a good I don't place to go? First who I did it through at this point. I mean that was oh, okay. 2006. I restarted a couple years later, but uh, <clears> it's something like that yeah.
0: Yeah, I know. So if you're listening to this, there's a, a website or an organization called N-O-L-S, and you can actually Google it, and they offer all kinds of uh, outdoor uh, skills. I'm yeah. sure. I mean, yeah.
1: keep, keeping people alive and knowing how to not die yourself is like a real basic, important thing. I think uh, it should, uh, you know, people should put more emphasis on, on stuff like that.
0: Something we don't get in our usual school cur- curriculum, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: that should be <laughs> in health class. Yeah. I mean, I guess they do, they do CPR and stuff like that. Well, no. no, <laughs> so, I didn't remember it.
0: <laughs> so let's go back. Uh, let's talk about this this tech startup. You were This was a few years back. Um,
1: this was, um, I don't know, around 2009-ish, 10-ish in it. I kind of started on, like, I didn't have really any money. Um, and we really bootstrapped it. We ended up getting clients. Oh, okay, let me tell you about the project. Um, we... Uh, the, the company that I... Uh, co-founded is called iProof, and um, we uh, individually mark items, uh, either through RFID or, or individualized QR, which allows for some, uh, some really interesting and unique services for like high-end luxury goods or pharmaceuticals, and so we ended up breaking the market in Napa, Napa, California, and getting into wines, and then I spent the next couple of years pretty much flying around the world, going to wineries and going to uh, fashion companies, trying to sell them our tags, and uh, that was a adventure in itself, and like a totally different life than I've ever experienced. You know, like international businessman. It's like uh, it was like totally new <laughs> hat for me, but uh, it was really fun. You know, it's it's nice to be able to to you know to to play that game, and, and you know, it's it's a it's a fun game to play, and sometimes it's necessary.
0: So you went so. from being homeless to having this. Uh, I mean, you're being extremely modest right now because. I'm looking at your blog, and it says you have 500,000 miles of first-class flights, uh, yeah. luxury hotels, yeah. Michelin-star yeah. restaurants, a $40,000 watch. Yeah. If I'm reading this yeah, is
1: all, it, was, it was really nice, and I, and I do appreciate nice things. I'm not, like, a, a total, like, snob. Like, if it's nice, then I don't like it. I only want to be, you know, crusty gutter punk kind of guy. I mean, I really appreciate the full spectrum of human existence. Like, I like... I like being homeless and I like, I slept in Central Park a bunch of times, you know, when I was a teenager, I I used to, uh, take the train over from Jersey and like stay for the weekend. And you could go to the museum of natural history, it's donation only. People don't really know that, but I would like give them a quarter and I'd spend all day in there with my journals, like before phones and stuff. And I would like draw shit. And then that night I'd go out and go crash in Central Park and I'd like go, you know, steal pizza off of people's plates outside of pizza shops, you know, um, (laughs) That's fun, though. That's fun. I'll remember that forever. You know, like the 50th filet mignon of the year, I don't remember. You know? <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, one makes me appreciate the other. You spend enough time sleeping on park benches and in, in a cold place, you'll really appreciate hot showers and soft towels and, you know, pillows. <laughs> oh so, yeah, but uh, that sterile lifestyle really makes you appreciate something genuine.
0: So you had it all but you weren't happy.
1: Yeah, well the thing is is that like uh that what was what what really makes me happy is is you know pursuing little interests and passion and freedom and not uh it, you know being a being an international businessman pulling down 10 million dollars a year will not make me happy, I guarantee. If I if I if I have to be like, you know, my mind I'm a, I'm a very different person. You know, if you talked to me a year ago, this interview would have sounded very different. Um uh, just, I mean, I went to Burning Man, for example, just recently. I went to 2011, like in the middle of my uh, work stuff. I think I just flown in from Europe, went to Burning Man, and like my mind wasn't ready for it. I was just not in the right place for it, you know. Um, now I'm kind of this nomadic gypsy dude. Um, no, Burning Man is a very, a very interesting experience.
0: Yeah, I want to get into that too. But um, so, so after you, you quit almost one year ago, right? Yeah, so it's, I mean, the situation is interesting.
1: I mean, uh, my friend and I started this company and, uh, he's still my friend and I still have owned my shares in my part of the company. I just am, you know, the company can, is, 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 I'm on an advisory level. So I, I wouldn't say that I quit. I just stopped doing anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I still, uh, like I don't make a salary or anything. That would be ridiculous, but, uh. Um, yeah, I mean, I still I still own the company. I just uh, decided I don't want to do that stuff anymore. And that's just kind of the person I am. When I said I don't want to do something anymore, I just go away. <sighs> <laughs> so.
0: so did you burn any bridges or?
1: No, no, no. Oh. I feel like I'm really good at that. I think, you know, I've got really good people skills. I like people. Uh, and I think I'm a really good communicator. And so, so you know, the fact is, it's just... Uh, you know, three years of of really just head down, you know, just, just the entrepreneur grind that I'm sure you're familiar with. It's like I, I realized that when I came into this I had a goal. And that goal was a certain level it's not it wasn't necessarily financial, but it was the ability to kind of live the life I want without having to worry about money. And I kind of just after going through some kind of a hard winter, I just uh I realized that, like, holy crap, I kind of just passed that goal a little while ago. Instead of, like, recalibrating my goals and, like, keep setting the more expensive watch, a nicer car, whatever, whatever, like, that stuff is not doing it for me. And uh, that's what was making me unhappy was that I, I, I wasn't really being true to myself for the reason that I started. And so, I mean, some people could say I'm lazy or some people could just say that I have integrity and just stuck with what is important to me. I could definitely still be hustling right now. Uh, You know, we just got a really good client. Um, Actually, I flew into New York for a quick meeting uh, a couple
0: days before Burning Man. It's really nice. So things are going well, but uh, I'm not really involved except for, you know, an email every now and then. So you basically sold everything and then you jetted off to Indonesia, is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so this last... um, uh, this last one, well, so I've been traveling since 2006, and I used to go back and forth to Thailand uh, about every year. I used to kickbox over there. I became a monk. I lived in a village. I have, like, a Thai family. Those are all, like, pretty long stories, but I really love Thailand, and um, I was just there again recently. This trip I started in Indonesia um, where I spent a couple weeks in Bali but wasn't, like – it wasn't really what I was looking for, so I, I uh, Googled indigenous tribes in Southeast Asia and found, <laughs> um, found uh, you know, there's like Papua New Guinea, you know, there's a bunch of little isolated areas where there are, you know, people still living in their traditional ways. And coming from my...
0: Hey, Justin, you still there? Uh, still here. Oh, okay. So you were just saying uh, you, you Google these indigenous tribes and uh, they had an online presence? yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, Yeah,
1: well... You know, there are really very few, if any, uncontacted tribes in, in the world. You know, and uh, and you know, so it's not like anyway. I uh, I found uh, this tribe called the Mentawai on Sibruut Island, on the off the west coast of Sumatra, and I was like, well, I'm just gonna go there and uh, get off the, the, overnight ferry and just kind of ask around and see if anybody knows where these Indians live. <laughs> so I really didn't know very much about it. And luckily it ended up working out all right, but it's a very famous, uh, surfing Island. The whole interior is filled with, um, you know, native people living in longhouses. And if you go to my, uh, blog, there's some pictures there. It's adventures of com, And I've got like a little 12 minute video, um, which is like my first attempt at somehow, travel filmmaking. <clears throat> and I lived out there with them for 10 days. Uh, I hired an interpreter and lived with a couple different families in a long house. And uh, yeah, like we, it's like, it was real stuff, you know, <laughs> It's like, these guys are the real deal. I mean, they've got some <laughs> plastic utensils, and every now and then they'll wear galoshes, but you know, and have like a shotgun. But besides that, I mean, they haven't changed. They haven't changed very much for a very, very long time. Um, they all use lighters and I was trying to figure out how, because I'm really into primitive skills. So I was trying to figure out how they started fires before lighters and my interpreter wasn't good enough to really like get that across. So I just, I demonstrated how to start a fire with uh bamboo, it's called bamboo fire saw and that video is on the blog. Um, but they were like, it was as if they had never seen it before. If you watch the video, they're like astounded. And the next day, uh, a couple of the guys asked me how to do it and I, or, you know, kind of mimed how to do it. Um, but I don't know how they started fires. Everyone, all these old shamans living out in the jungle have Bic lighters. <laughs> <laughs> and they smoke like chimneys. But anyway, so I spent 10 days out there. Um, it was really, really amazing trip.
0: Um, so given your background, you must have felt right at home, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. It's like... Um, when I'm around native people like that, I think they can tell or something, you know, like, I don't know. I think I walk in the woods differently than most people. I think I move differently. I like, I'm used to eating, you know, grubs with my hands. It's like, this stuff is not weird for me. Um, uh, yeah. So like, I I think that they appreciate that I appreciate them, which is a big thing on, on making friends internationally in general, you know, but particularly with, with people that you can't communicate with, uh, being genuinely fascinated and humble and respectful, like you can 't go wrong everyone will love you
0: so they basically uh you 're one of them basically except uh, yeah
1: well i mean so they uh, I, just, I just slept on their floors on a hard wooden floor with a mosquito net over me. I slept mm-hmm. under a mosquito net naked and slept and sweated all night for ten days <laughs> that 's how hot it was. <laughs> But yeah, I lived in a couple different houses, and uh, you know, we went on some walks together. They, uh, this one old shaman helped. Uh, he made a loincloth for me out of bark. We kind of did it together. Um, I didn't really wear that in the video because it's not very appropriate, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah, we did. We went did went fishing, crabbing, uh, gathered wild cocoa. Um, uh, yeah, we had, uh, ended up making poison tip arrows, and I like got the whole thing on tape. It's pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, from there, I um, I went to Thailand to visit my Thai family. Uh, they live up in uh, just south of Chiang Mai in a village way out there, and I've, I've been visiting them since 2006. And, how did you meet um, this Thai family? How did I meet them? Well, I, I, I made a very dear friend who's now, I guess, my brother. Um, the first time I was there, and I in my first kickboxing match, I had broken my foot, and I was limping around Chiang Mai, and uh, we ended up talking, and I was telling him how bummed I was, because I couldn't kick or really do anything, and he's like, oh, well, I'm going to my village to visit my family in a couple days. Would you want to come see, like, what real Thai people are like? I'm like, uh, (laughs) are you kidding me? (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so we went to the village, and um, it was just before Christmas of 2007, and yeah, I mean, just just like what I said, I mean, um, I was really just fascinated with Dan, and, um, uh, you know, by then I knew enough Thai to be really polite, and, uh, you know, just kind of sit on the floor with them, eat the way they eat, you know, laugh when they laugh, and, um, yeah, we ended up making, they really, really liked me, and hadn't had too many experiences with, uh, positive experiences with foreigners, so, um, when I was there, this is gonna get into a long story, I'm sorry, but, um, <laughs> yeah when I was there just it was just before Christmas and I was asking you know I was asking uh, the brother about you know their culture, what it's like to grow up, what it's like to be him you know to grow up in this village farming rice and along along the conversation he mentioned how um, all Thai boys uh, traditionally become Buddhist monk for something like a week or a month or sometimes a year, but usually for a short amount of time and it's like um, uh, I forget the word for it, but it, it like basically is like good karma for their family and gets them into heaven. So mm-hmm. I'd asked him if he and Noon, his brother, had gone, and he was like, "Oh no, we didn't. Be- we-, we haven't become monks. It's not really our thing." And I was like, "Man, if if I lived in Thailand, like if I were you, I definitely would. That's an experience I would love to have." And the next morning, like I was sitting around drinking beers and like eating pork roasted around a fire. And the next morning when I woke up, he's like, "So I talked to Mom and Dad about what you said, and they they said they wanted to adopt you, and then you could become a monk, and then they could go to heaven." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> It's like pretty heavy actually <laughs> like uh, it's not something I, I take seriously and I I, di- I really didn't want it to feel like oh here's this tourist let's give him some tourist experience Now I wanted to be really clear that it wasn't about that and it definitely wasn't it was a really long process and I had to go like talk to the head monk of northern Thailand with my Thai dad and brother and like he had to kind of put me through the ringer and ask me all these questions, and I had to learn all these prayers in Bali and like over the course of a week. And then January first, two thousand seven, I became a Thai monk, and it was a huge ceremony. Like everyone from the village came out, uh, and the head monk of northern Thailand came. It was a full day production. Wow. And then, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so this was a really big deal because I I know um, a lot of foreigners go and they they go to Doi for instance, and uh, they live among yeah. the monks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, but they don't actually become monks?
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know anything about what uh, what other people have done. But, um, yeah, it wasn't like monk instructions. It was more like you're going to become a monk and then you're going to do what all the other monks do. Um, but it wasn't like, I mean, none of the other monks spoke English at all. So. I didn't know what the hell I was doing most of the time. I just, like, copied and then really <laughs> focused on having positive intentions and positive thoughts. You know, uh, every morning we'd get up before the sun came up and then come in. I slept, like, in the temple right in front of this giant Buddha, like a 10-, 15-foot beautiful golden Buddha. I slept down at the feet. And then uh, and my Thai grandfather would sometimes come in and roll, roll out a bedroll next to me, and he'd, and he'd go to sleep next to me, like, not even saying anything. <laughs> um, but, like, that was the sense of, Uh, a real sense of family that I had and like the aunties and cousins would come and they'd bring bring presents for me and they'd come sit in front of me when I was meditating and just come sit there and just uh, hold my hand sometimes, it was nice Um, (laughs) So what what did you take from that
0: experience? (laughs) What's that? What did you take from that experience?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well it's probably a pretty uh, controversial topic actually, what I took from it for me, um it was kind of the last ditch at religion for me. Um, and what I think I took away, if I were to boil it down, was that religion is a very, very attractive, alluring, um, sparkly arrow. That, and everyone gets uh, focused on what, what kind of arrow or what it's made of or what kind of jewels are in it or what kinds of feathers. And no one's looking where the arrow is pointing, which is at truth. And that's kind of – I don't know if I'm trying to be deep, but it, it just, like, that's what I got out of it.
0: Um, so they get re- lost in the, really uh, saw it the tradition ceremony and ceremony
1: and dogma. Yeah. But that there was a real truth that was at the base of it all, and it's like this, um, you know, love kind of thing.
0: So they, they get caught up in the ritual and ceremony, but forget the actual spiritual message is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that their ritual has a role. I think ritual mm-hmm. is important. Um but I think that, you know if you just get caught up on uh, caught up in who is the most spiritual or who has the most tied pendants around their necks like you know I see these guys with like ten or fifteen golden Buddha pendants hanging around their necks you're like dude you must have some serious issues or something <laughs> you know like
0: <laughs> to need all that jewelry
1: <laughs> who you're trying to who you're trying to convince that you're really holy but whoa yeah I don't know I think spirituality is a very simple thing I think it's you know but that's a different subject.
0: You shouldn't have something to prove if you're truly really spiritual. Yeah, secure
1: or... I just think that it's. I just think that, um, like that. Uh, I don't know if I really want to get into it, but I really think that yeah. that love at the base of spirituality, and like, it's not really about a lot of other things, but it's about um, seeing each other as uh, seeing the connection in one another, seeing us all as one, and all that other hippie stuff. I think it's. I think. Uh, I think. That's what the good, you know, if religion just does that for people, I think then that's great. Um, and for me, in that experience, it, uh, religion, I decided that religion wasn't my path to, to truth. It was through personal introspection and through knowledge. And after that, I just really got into science. And, I've, uh, and I don't know, I can, I don't, I'm not a scientist, but I consider myself um, very scientifically minded and very passionate and curious about the world. So that's replaced my 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 search for religion. It's just been the search for um, um, kind of reality and truth.
0: Right, and so you've been yeah. scouring the world looking for truth. Yeah,
1: right? so I'm going around the world collecting <clears throat> stories, like going around the world meeting people, seeing what their lives are like, living. You know, like going and living in places. You know, that's that's kind of my style. It's like to go make friends make really great connections with people and then that's what my experience of thailand is you know like i've been you know i've been to paris a lot of times but i've never been to the eiffel tower like i i want to save that for a girl i think (laughs) for a date but like uh like i'll go to the because i want to save the eiffel tower for i want that memory to be about a relationship you know it doesn't have to be a girl it it, you know probably should be though um (laughs) but you know like like uh I don't just want to go and look at things. I want to have amazing experiences and places. Um, and it doesn't have, they don't have to be exotic places, but often the exotic ones are just so interesting because they're different.
0: Yeah, so after uh, Thailand, you worked your way up. Um, uh, just a second, there's a truck going by. Uh, yeah. You worked your way up to Nepal, and you also visited the uh, ancient Tibetan kingdom of Lo, now called Mustang. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, uh, how that's... did you end up there, over there? <laughs>
1: Uh, well I I love Nepal I really 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 love Nepal and that's where I fell in love with travel and um uh, I went back uh, for the first time since I left and the first night I was there I uh, my friend owns a hostel and I was hanging up, up on the roof with a bunch of amazing travelers from all over the world everyone's telling just crazy awesome stories everyone's comparing their trekking stories where are you going where have you been blah 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 um and uh, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine who told me who had mentioned uh, this thing about Mustang. And Mustang was, uh, you know, it is part of it is um, still ge- geopolitically Nepal, but it's completely 100 percent culturally Tibetan. Um, you know, the the line on the ground is just the line on the ground. Everyone speaks Tibetan. Uh, most of the nomads up there that live in that live in. Uh, Yak yeah, tents. They don't speak any uh, any Nepali at all. They, you know, they're all Buddhist. They've all lived in their traditions the same way they have for um, thousands of years. And so this area was completely forbidden, I think, until the '90s. And then since the '90s, it's been severely restricted. And it's just starting to open up more and more. So I'm really glad I got in to go when I did now, versus a couple of years from now, because China is connecting a road from. China to India—that's going to go right through the backyard, and that's going to change things massively. I think change, things have changed a lot, even in the past past five years. But it's going to—it's going to be exponential. You know, you're already seeing—you know—you're you're up there. Uh, there was one. There was one day where I, I found a bunch of yak herders. Like I, the the guy whose house I was staying in, or his little his little shack up in the mountains. I was asking him. Uh, where if there were, like, any people still living traditionally, because that's kind of my thing. And he said, oh, yeah, well, there's some the nomads up in the mountains. And he just points up in the mountains, and he gets some binoculars. And he, like, points, and, like, I'll kind of see that line, follow that line up. And if you go up there, and if you find some yaks, then you'll find them. <laughs> 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 you know, like, but anyway. Even so how there, did you make like, it?
0: How did you even make it to this place? Did you hitchhike there, or? no, no so, uh. Hold on, let me tell you that one second. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: I find that I find the yaks, and the guy who's hurting them is using like a, a slingshot, like David and Goliath. You know, like he's using <laughs> a string with a with a on uh, in the center. There's a little pouch and you can put a stone in it and throw it. Yeah. And he's using slingshots to hurt the yaks, but he's wearing like an Adidas track suit or something. Like he's got like an Adidas jacket on, which totally like kind of de romanticizes the whole vibe. <laughs> it's like. But, you know, it's just they're the same people. You just put an Adidas shirt on somebody. It doesn't change who they are. But it's funny, you know. Uh, it's funny to see a little video of some guy, you know, throwing a slingshot. And he's got, like, you know, some, some Adidas jacket on. <laughs> but uh, how did I get there? Well, I had to walk. Um, I walked from Jumpsum. I took a, a short flight through the Himalayas to Jumpsum and then walked about, I think it was about a week. Um, actually, maybe a little shorter. But, yeah, long, long days. Uh, a lot of altitude, got up to about 15,000 feet. I went, uh, over an 18,000 foot pass. Um, and all I took was basically my backpack, sleeping bag, the clothes on my back and flip flops. And, um, and it was awesome. It was, it was, I'm really glad I went light. I, uh, ended up hiking up and over the past. It's covered in snow. We, uh, me and I have an interpreter as well. And, um, stayed in villages along the way and uh, once we got up to uh, once we got up to the border of Tibet then we basically just like kept walking you know like so technically we're in Tibet but you know it's just lines on the ground right so um yeah we ended up exploring some really amazing caves that they had just unearthed that were full of paintings and uh this other cave where uh um, the tribes used to hide when when the bandits would come. They'd all like the whole tribe would go into this one entrance and then go up the mountain through caves, a tunnel of network of caves, and hide in there. And then they could defend the entrance to the tunnel from the whole from the whole. Band. It's amazing, like genius. They built all this stuff 2,500 years ago, like carved a honeycomb of caves up into the side of the mountain. It's just unbelievable. Wow. Um, yeah,
0: so we're, like, were ever, like one of the few foreigners that ever reached that place, huh?
1: Well. No, they're, I mean, foreigners can get there. Like, yeah. the thing is, is that uh, there are villi- – like, there's the main town, Lomantang. That's where the the palace is. That's where the king used to live. Okay. And, like, there are definitely – you know, there are a few times where you'll go there where you won't find a white person. But, like, the outlying villages, like uh, Chosser, C-H-O-S-S-E-R, you can look it up probably on Google. I don't know, maybe. Um, but – Don't everyone go there at once, because please don't ruin it. (laughs) But it's a bunch of people. It looks like Tatooine. You know, it looks like Star Wars, like desert dwelling people living in cliffs, kind of like the Hopi uh, down in the southwest. But they're still living there. And like, it's just the same. They don't have electricity. Like, it's exactly the same. There's no signs in English. There's no hostels. There's no guest houses. Like, (laughs) I just went up with an interpreter and asked the lady if I could eat at her place and sleep in there. And then, you know, like, that's how it is. And then a couple nights when I was up there, I slept in a cave. Like, I found a cave full of hay, and I wanted to do a little survival trip, so I, you know, just slept in a bunch of grass.
0: What were you eating there?
1: Um, God, a lot of dalbat, which is, like, rice and lentils and very bland potato curry. Okay. Um, yeah, a lot of that. like, yak Occasionally yak, lamb. I, I was trying to get protein anytime I could because I just, I lost probably 15 pounds walking up there. Um. Protein's really <laughs> few and far between. It's really desolate, and so they have to trek everything up there. You know, it's their their city is 15,000 feet. That's really high. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I mean, getting chickens or eggs or, you know, uh, occasionally there's goats and stuff. But um, <laughs> meat whenever I can, but otherwise a lot of rice and lentils.
0: Wow. And so how long were you up there for?
1: Um, I was up. I was up in the mountains for about a month straight, uh, and I was in the district of Lomantang for about fifteen days. And I couldn't do. I mean, I could have done longer, but it's very expensive, and every additional day is like, an additional fifty bucks or so. So you know, it's like probably fifteen hundred dollars just to be able to get up there. You
0: know? Oh, really? So you have to spend fifty dollars a day for the permit? Yeah. Well,
1: no. See, it's um, you have to get government permits because it's still severely restricted. <laughs> Okay. So you have to pay 500 for this permit. You have to pay 500 for this. Um, you know, I, like, paid for all my own food up there. Um, oh, wow. Well, but, but, you know, it's still uh, – I definitely thought about sneaking in. And let me <laughs> say I, I, I kind of regret that I didn't, but there was one point where I didn't. And I was walking up this really steep shale. Like, there's a village on top of the hill. I could see like where it was. And I was walking up this really steep shale, and all of a sudden I see, like, a hundred – Guys in fatigues lining up along the top of the ridge with their what looked like m16s pointed out over the valley over my head like in uh, like a sentinel kind of position and then <laughs> a, a line of soldiers zigzags down the mountain towards me because you have to zigzag because it's really steep and i'm like holy crap <laughs> what is happening right now because they're um that area with the reason it's the reason it's uh, so isolated is because it was war torn there was like you couldn't get armies in there, so it was all bandits and stuff. It was like the wild, wild west. You know, there's like even even five or six years ago, there was a bunch of violence with like the uh, like the Maoist rebels versus the state and stuff. You know, so there's you'll, you'll be up there in the mountains and you'll see like a hammer and sickle spray painted on something. You know, like on an old uh, like rock and mud house, there'll be a hammer and sickle spray painted. So there's like a little, there's still a little bit of that edge. Which is, <laughs> But luckily they were just doing a drill and they had yeah, the, all these army guys walked right, like they just walked right by me and I like, had my phone down and was like very carefully uh, videotaping them all. So I got video of that. But um, yeah, that, if I didn't have a permit, I probably would have pooped my pants at that point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did they ask you for a permit?
1: No, in fact, I didn't even get asked at all, which is, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> makes me think that it would be possible. Granted, it was really nice to have someone who spoke uh, who spoke uh, sorry, and tibetan because otherwise it's it's really hard you know they don't speak any English at all and and yeah. most of them are very very shy people like like in most of these old people have only seen white people in the last 10 years at all so you know like if you ask them to take a photo usually the answer is no kind of that kind of thing mm. you know and so I, I find that I, I don't pull my phone out in and a lot of the situations, all my best photos will never be taken, you know, because the, the best moments to pull, to pull out a camera or a phone, it just ruins it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just changes the vibe. It makes, it makes me the tourist and it makes you the, you know, the subject. You can
0: never but, really, really capture the moment. Yeah. Completely. Yeah.
1: So, but yeah, I mean, uh, the people and their culture is ancient and beautiful and, uh, you know, for people that don't travel, at least go online and, like, um, oh, you can see... Uh, oh, I haven't even posted it to my blog. Hmm. I should... I've got a, I've got a really beautiful video of my trip that I should post soon. Uh, it's like yeah, share camera. it with us, man. Yeah, yeah, I should, I should do that. i should just do <laughs> the video and that. Well, because I, I don't... Uh, you know, I don't blog for money. I just blog just to tell my story. And so yeah. sometimes I don't write.
0: <laughs> it's it's time-consuming, but you have a lot of stories you have to share with the world. Yeah, so. I, I
1: have a lot of stories, but the thing is I really want to give it the time it deserves, and I'm just on such a whirlwind of life right now. Like, from Nepal, I went to Turkey for a month where I had just unbelievable, amazing adventures and made incredible friends on, this, uh, on the southwest coast of Turkey, and then came to burning man and my whole last month has just been all about that and catching up with people and i haven't had like breather time i think maybe <laughs> the next week or two i might like start to journal a little bit and, you know do some writing
0: yeah i want to ask you about uh turkey and burning man but i also wanted to ask you um when you were in nepal you did some some whitewater rafting in the himalayas you were camping up uh, there and you also uh you went to what the base camp i think one of the places you were barefoot
1: Oh, yeah, well, I did um, I did the whole um, Mustang Trek in flip-flops, which was kind of a big deal. Not sounds really snobby to say that, but, like, it's a really hard pass to do in flip-flops in the snow. So, um, like, that was kind of my hardcore, I'm going to push myself and do something interesting kind of thing. I definitely did a lot of barefoot walking, and we did uh, a couple days on Everest, not up in the snow, but just, like, you know, down at the base Um uh, but yeah, I was you know barefoot in flip flops for almost the whole trip. I, I try to live barefoot in flip flops as much as possible. Yeah. Well,
0: uh, and, and so and you I, hiked up to one of the passes, uh, which uh, Madang yes, Pass,
1: called, called the Drong La Pass, Drong La Pass uh, between um, just uh, basically the Annapurna Mountains run basically east west, and on the north side of them is Mustang and they create, uh, they create a rain shadow from the, all the moisture that comes up from India. All the moisture gets squeezed out onto Nepal before it passes over these like, 24,000 foot mountains. On the other side, it's all dry. So that's why, the, uh, that's why Mustang is like this giant high desert. That's why, that's why Tibet is, is, a, is dry like it is. It's because the mountains squeeze out the moisture. But I started on the, the Menang side, which is all foresty. Or I didn't start on the Menang side. Sorry. That was the last trip. Um, I started from the Mustang side uh, from the desert side, and walked up the up to Thronglaw Pass, and then down to Manay. But it's like I think it, in two days I did from I'm trying to get this right, twenty nine hundred meters to fifty four, almost fifty five hundred meters in two days. That's like um, wow. fifteen hundred. So that's like a, the, the four thousand five hundred feet. Is that right? <laughs> ah, Jesus, I shouldn't have dropped out of high school. <laughs> it and it was really, long? really high. I think I think over the course of two yeah. days, I did about two thousand meters because I had to go up and down. You know, like you go up to you go up to a, the top of a mountain, then you have to go down. You sleep, and then you go up again. I think over the course of two days, I did about six thousand feet up in flip flops, and that was a lot. Wow, that was really hard.
0: And your toes are about to um, freeze off, huh?
1: Yeah. Well, the, see, the thing is the morning. I the morning I went over the the pass. Um, my, my toes were really, really frozen. So I got a, a Nalgene water bottle full, uh, filled it up with tea and then ate as much hot oatmeal as I could
2: and, uh, and set off before the sun came up and my, my toes really, really were, were really cold <laughs> until the sun. Uh, I had, you know,
1: and, and I was slipping a lot too, you know, it's, it's very steep and flip-flops are not. And the whole backside of the um, side that I came up is uh, it's not like a well-worn trail. It's kind of a bunch of little trails. It's it's not ideal. But yeah, everyone that goes over lodge they come from the other side, and it's not as steep. Um, you know, it's a little more gradual of a rise. So, wow. Uh, yeah. So did that, and what did I do after that? yeah. Like, you that,
0: said you went to Turkey to... afterwards.
1: Uh, yeah, but I was gonna say I went. Then I went to poker to go whitewater rafting or whitewater oh, okay. kayaking where um, I had my iPhone in a life-proof case and duct-taped to my chest as a GoPro. <laughs> <laughs> that totally failed, and I ended up losing a bunch of photos. Oof. But yeah, my phone, uh, my phone, my brand-new unlocked iPhone 5S toilet. Oh. So that was a huge bummer. I realized how, um, how important basic tools like having a phone or a computer are. Uh, how much I rely on them, you know, especially with my lifestyle. It's really all I need, but I do need it.
0: <laughs> but I do need it. Did, did you have your iPhone when you were with the eye? Uh uh Yeah,
1: that's yeah. see, I, I do I all my stuff on my phone, and then I yeah. just edit it with iMovie. So, <laughs> like, really, yeah, it's like it, a, just, it just
0: seems funny to me that you're out with these guys, uh, like uh, hunting yaks with slingshots and. Yeah. Uh, creating poison-tipped arrows and you're just, like, waving around your phone at the same time.
1: Yeah, well, I feel like a phone is is energetically very different than pulling out a big DSLR because, you know, you pull out a big camera and it, there's some benefits to that. You pull out a big camera and a lot of people want to pose for photos. You know, the photos are much better. But uh, you pull out a big camera and you put it in someone's face, you're going to change them vibe, and uh, I'm really into kind of more covert filming because I I don't like to be that guy holding his phone out all the time, taking pictures of everything. Um, So most of the stuff that you see that I'm filming, um, if you look at it, it's like uh, I'm holding my hand down at my side or you know, or something, or I just set the phone up somewhere, or I give it to someone else to hold, but um, I I think putting a camera in someone's face just changes the vibe too much, and uh, the iPhone's pretty discreet, so... And it looks surprisingly good. I'm I'm pretty surprised with how, with how it came out. I'll be interested to see uh, see uh, if, if the new phones are better.
0: Yeah, I hope to see some more of your videos. Uh, for, uh, yeah, I'll put I'll pu- I'll post that um, Nepal one soon. I really should. It's really awesome. It's way better than the uh, Matalai one. So uh, then uh, after that, you went to you went to Turkey for a few weeks, and then. Uh,
1: Yeah, I was in Turkey for a month. I spent most of the time in Turkey down. Obviously, I saw Istanbul and stuff, which is gorgeous. And I love the the culture and the history. And Turkish food is amazing and Turkish people. But uh, I ended up going down. I wanted to check out, you know, a lot of the beautiful spots. But, um, you know, so I had a plan to go to, like, Olympos and Izmir, Ephesus, Cappadocia, and a couple others. But... You know, that's kind of the way I like to set things up when I'm traveling. It's like I have some a general outline of things that I want to do and then when something happens that is irresistible, I just stop and do that instead. You know, I'm not like committed to... I didn't go to Cappadocia. I'll save that for another trip. I'm so sure. where did you go? Um, I just ended up spending most of my time in this small seaside town called Kusodasi. I went to uh, Ephesus, which is uh, or Ephesus, which is a um, uh, some really old ruins and they were really gorgeous, but... I uh I think on the first night I was in this really small town I ended up making a very very good friend with uh, with the uh, this Turkish guy that's my age and his English was horrible but his friends spoke uh, spoke English really well we ended up hitting it off and he's he basically said I'm going to make you fall in love with my town that's my purpose for the for your time in Turkey and I ended up staying there <laughs> for like about two weeks I didn't even leave this small little town and he just took me to all his favorite cliff diving spots he took me to uh, like uh, he put me up in his place, introduced me to all of his friends. We like took me out to dinner all the time. Like the hospitality was unreal. Like I was like, oh, hey, I haven't been to a gym in like two months, and I'm really skinny after Nepal. Can I like try and find a gym around here? So he walks me like five blocks, walks me, and says hello to the gym owner, and is like, this is my boy. Take care of him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how, did,
1: how did you meet this guy? In, in Turkish. Um, sitting around smoking hookah at a hookah bar. <laughs> he, uh, he owned it. He owned the place. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, he's like, he's like, my age, dude's kind of a boss. He's a real, real cool guy. Um, and, uh, it's crazy that, uh, you know, we, we didn't, he doesn't speak any English at all, but we ended up becoming very, very close really quickly. And I, I, he, he, he and his friends really made me fall in love with Turkey. Um, and I learned tons about Turkish history like, because I didn't go to high school, you know, I don't. No world history is, like, I never took that class. So going to Turkey and, like, going to these places and hearing about, you know, this heroic Ataturk uh, character who, uh, you know, unified Turkey. And it's really, really amazing to to hear the story from Turkish people and, you know, to hear what they think about the world versus, like, um, you know, just reading about it in a book. You know, and they always have very interesting questions for me, too, you know, because I'm American. (laughs) They're
0: usually pretty loaded. Like, so... (laughs) What do you think about George Bush? (laughs) Oh, way to throw that one at me. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's
1: funny. But surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, I've never come across anyone who's been, I don't know, American racist or whatever you would call that. I've never had someone who didn't like me because I was American. I've had people who have probably had preconceived notions about who I am, but as soon as I start talking to them within about a minute, things are cool. Because yeah. you know, like you know, people judge you mostly for you know how you are. If you show them who you are, you're to about anywhere.
0: Exactly. So, so, yeah. so don't don't act like uh, the stereotype stereotypical American and confirm that. In other words, right? What's that? Say it that again. Oh, don't don't act like a stereotype stereotypical American and confirm their.
1: Uh, well, yeah. I mean, beliefs. I don't know. I was just say don't be a stereotypical American. Like yeah. that's not very cool. Those those stereotypes are lame. Um, yeah I've seen I'm, it a few times I unfortunately I wasn't trying to not be that I was just being myself so yeah. um be cool and then just be yourself <laughs> yeah
0: yeah well I think I think a, a big thing of it part of it too is a lot of uh, Americans go abroad for the first time and they're just you know dismayed at the level of service that they get you know like oh the waiter's being rude to me and blah 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 and it's just yeah. you know and on the, the other side the waiters say well it's like if this wouldn't, you know, they say this wouldn't work in uh, the U.S. or this would never happen in the U.S. and uh say, well, maybe you should go back to the U.S.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, well you know, that's yeah. why I don't, if I go to a Mexican restaurant and the person waiting on me doesn't speak English, I don't get upset. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I think a lot of the people in the U.S., they're just so used to having their asses kissed. and uh, Well, anyway, we're, we're getting. <laughs>
1: it's possible. Getting I don't know. Um, yeah. I know. I think that. uh probably just i've traveled a lot so i, yeah. I think um i their appreciation and uh, I, I, I think it's, humility is really important um, you've, you've and i like seen... trying to be humble but just like realizing that no matter how much you know and no matter how much you think uh you've got things right about the way things are or should be mm-hmm. like to always be open to hearing other people because uh it might sound cliche but like other people
0: are interesting <laughs> and you can yeah lots, you know, even from people that you, you don't necessarily respect learn a lot of lessons. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the, the biggest rewards of travel is uh, just getting outside and getting a different perception, but also um, losing your innate sense of self-superiority to other people. Yeah, you know, because yeah. Because I think in the U.S. and maybe a lot of places, uh, there's kind of this idea that like, uh, oh, people are stupid, you know, and lazy and fat and uninteresting. Uh, but then you kind of get out in the world and you meet other interesting people and you're like, wow, you know, there's, there's a lot of cool people in this world. Yeah
1: well, yeah. well, I think what I would, what I would guess for people that, people that have never left the United States or are, are, are really curious about travel is that the thing that you're mostly wrong about is about how dangerous everything is. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and most people are a lot like you and your friends. Um, just with a different I mean if you were yeah. born there you'd be just like them and if they were born in your neighborhood they'd be just like you and it's like um, but pretty much most people are the same we all have the same you know we all want to be special we all want to be loved we all want to be appreciated and, and have our basic needs met besides that exactly. that's, that's pretty much it you know
0: everyone, Vietnamese everyone communists sure. uh, want the same thing as American capitalists Yeah, they just have different ways of getting it and um, yeah I think I think people also confuse uh, inconvenience with danger as well because yeah. uh, there's no doubt that, you know, there's going to be things that are inconvenient. Uh, I'm sure climbing to Krongla Pass in sandals is probably not convenient. But you get so much more from that that temporary discomfort. You leave with something much, much deeper and more meaningful. Yeah. And I, and I, don't, I, re- um, I don't strive to be uncomfortable because that would be easy to do. I could just,
1: you know, go sit in an ice-cold bath all day. But um, that's not the point. But like a lot of the things that I really like to do are the things that really excite me and make me feel alive. Yeah. Um, they're, you can't do them and be comfortable at the same
0: time. Yeah, you, you can't grow if you're sitting in a bath all day.
1: Yeah, and, I, mean, and I suppose you can read. You can intellectually grow, I suppose. But, yeah, <laughs> your point.
0: <laughs> a mental midget. Um, but so you, so speaking of uncomfortable, you went to Burning Man and you didn't even have your shoes. You're out in the desert there. You didn't even have yeah. a ticket. a ticket. Yeah. <laughs>
1: there was one great night in Kathmandu with a dear friend of mine, um, and Dustin. And, uh, we had a conversation and I realized then that I really needed to go to Burning Man. And I was like, yeah, but I don't have a ticket or anything planned. He's like, are you kidding me? You don't need anything. Just go. He's like, the universe will provide a ticket. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't tend to be one of those guys. Um, you know, like law of attraction, whatever, you know, like mystical and stuff. However, I do think that there's something to be said about like putting yourself out there and then being open for help. And that's what I did. I came, uh, uh, I came to Burning Man, um, with, here's what I had. Let's see. I had a wool blanket. I had, uh, I had flip flops for a little while. Um, but someone stole them or I misplaced them (laughs) and I basically had one pair of pants, uh, two pair of underwear, a long sleeve shirt and like a, like a, a knit scarf and then a couple little bandanas for, uh, and like bottles. That's about it. And, um, uh, you know, I paid somebody in a camp for some food and so I didn't have to worry about food and water and I just kind of drifted around and, uh, I got to the gate. <clears throat> I got a ride from San Francisco, show up at the gate uh, uh, opening day. And, you know, there's a huge, like, parking lot of cars all waiting to get in. And uh, on the Burning Man radio station that comes in when you're pulling up, it says, do not get out of the car. We will assume you're trying to sneak in and you will be, you know, like, all of a sudden I was super nervous. (laughs) I was like, uh, the whole ride from San Francisco, you know, the people I was riding with were like, oh, man, aren't you nervous? What if you don't get in? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, no, man, I I trust. I trust. There's no way I'm going to come from across the world. There's no way I'm going to come across the world for Burning Man and not get in me this is gonna happen this is gonna happen so (laughs) as soon as we pull up and we hear that we're like oh wow i'm not supposed to get out like should i just walk 10 miles back to town or something like no 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 so i get out i get a a piece of cardboard on one side i write world nomad needs ticket and on the other side i wrote um you know in case that didn't work i wrote we'll trade virginity for ticket but luckily that didn't
2: happen (laughs)
1: I got a couple um, But yeah, I get out of the car. It's about noon in the desert in northern Nevada. It's like <laughs> over 100 degrees or something. Is that your inner
0: virginity?
1: They give me a gallon of water, and they're like, yeah. dude, good luck. Really, <laughs> like, I really hope that you're okay.
0: <laughs> oh, my God.
1: I swear, I swear, within – it was probably – they say it was within 20 minutes. I'm saying 30, but – I walk by, I'm walking, just walking by cars, smiling at people. People are giving me water, you know, talking about, you know, where I've been, blah blah. blah. And um, yeah, everyone's wishing me good luck. They're just like, "Yeah, you'll get in, man. Burning Man's magic." I'm like, "Yeah, I hope so." <laughs> and I walk by this van, and I hear a guy, I, um, I hear a guy say, world no And I turn around, and there's a dude looking at who looks like Santa Claus, taking his head <laughs> up at his window. And I swear, I didn't even realize it
0: at the time. But at, when I told the story for the first time, I realized that, yeah, he looks just like Santa Claus. So Santa Claus um, picked it up, huh?
1: I know. <laughs> appropriate. And uh, he says, hey, you uh, you got any money? And I'm like, ah, a little, but really not much. And he pokes his head back in. And I, I had some money, but I didn't want to – I really wanted to see if I could get in without the ticket. And I had bought someone a ticket uh, a couple weeks before, so I, I didn't feel like I was mooching. Um pokes his head uh, back out, opens the door, and says, all right, get in. So I get in, and he's standing outside, and his, like, his son is driving, and he's holding a ticket, and he looks at me really seriously, and he like, kind of shakes it. He says, you don't want to know what I paid for this ticket, but I just got a phone call 10 minutes ago, and someone very close to me is not coming. So here you go. Happy Burning Man. <laughs> Can you keep a ticket. Like, he probably paid... $1,500 for it or $1,000. Like, that's what they're going for last minute. I just ran back to the car and I got, got up in front of the vehicle. The vehicle had moved maybe 20 feet in the parking lot of cars that is the line to Burning Man. I got out in front of the car and jumped up and down and they're like, oh, what happened? What happened? They did not believe me. <laughs> 20 minutes. 20
0: minutes. So yeah, so I got back in the car and rode in like everyone else. It was like totally amazing. Yeah. Oh man, it must have been some of those uh, manifestation techniques you learned uh, as a monk or something,
1: you know? Oh, luck,
0: visualize. Okay. <laughs>
1: I'm okay with I'm okay with luck too. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
0: that, that's amazing, man. You know, I was I was just thinking when you were having your uh, you're talking to your friend in Nepal, and I had a similar conversation during one of my first trips. I was living in Mexico, and uh, this lady who was hosting me there, she backpacked all over Europe and such, and she had no money. And, uh, you know, I still had these concerns. I was like, well, how can I just, you know, throw everything away and just travel, you know? And she's like, Iho, you, you have nothing to lose, mm-hmm. you know? Does, you have nothing. Why, why are you afraid? And she's just, like, laughing at me, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's like, what's, what's wrong with your brain programming? Who programmed you like
0: this? Yeah, exactly. She's like, you're still, uh, you're still a product of uh, American culture is what she said. culture. There. Culture yeah so i was I was worried about things that weren't there, I guess you could say hmm. that weren't yeah. physically there or there at that moment well, uh,
1: on that on that on that point I think that's a a really important uh thing to notice about our culture is that a lot of it is just a lot of it's fear based and that's what consumerism is it's I think it's a lot of it is fear based and it's uh you know it's it's all the idea of not having enough or in the future am I not going to have enough um, and I'm not saying like. Just be, you know, just smoke weed and lay on the street all day, unless that makes you happy. And yeah. And still, forth weed, fine. But, like, that's not uh, just being not productive and not and not having goals isn't necessarily the way to get what you want. But, um, no. you know, this whole idea of just being, you know, uh, terrified. People are really terrified of losing their their comfort, and um, it's like I feel like comfort and um, like comfort and novelty, or you know, comfort and adventure are are opposite ends of the spectrum you know you can't yeah. you can't comfortable adventure
0: and I think, you can't have um,
1: adventurous life you can't have an adventurous life unless you like push yourself so
0: yeah i think people want to pursue their dreams but they're afraid of maybe losing it all or um, you know whatever it is that they have uh the fear of loss uh is a terrifying deterrent to taking action yeah
1: and Everybody, everybody has their own thing that they're afraid of losing. Like for somebody, it might be their really important job for some people. It's a family, but I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily prescribe my way of life for other people. Right. You know? so I wouldn't necessarily say that other people should do this. I think that if you really want to, and if it's the most important thing in your life to you, then you should do everything you can to make it happen. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, well, I think a lot of people too, like they're afraid of, um, ending up on the streets for example you know being homeless but you've already done that and you're saying it's, yeah. it's not that bad
1: now i do that for fun yeah. <laughs> but yeah but there's a difference there's mm-hmm. a difference i mean i can i can stop being homeless whenever i want and i you know you have mm-hmm. to respect that that it's not just like a, uh you know for this everything is pretty much a game for me at this point but um yeah that's a real real concern for some people and um uh, I don't know, I've I've been homeless and I've been okay. What the what's really important for me is just uh, you know, being around as long as I have good people around me, I'm fine. You know, if you're if you're homeless and you've got a bunch of friends, you're gonna be fine. Um, you know, if you're homeless in some new town and you uh, you know, you have no connections with anyone, uh, you know, it'd be much harder. But uh, I don't know, I guess I don't really I I I've been homeless, I've been very, very poor for a lot of my life and for me, uh I've never been afraid of being that. I just really wanted the upper, I really wanted to just continue to move and continue to move and travel without money being an issue. Right. Um, but I think that people uh, should. I highly recommend um, traveling in small doses, and not even right. if, you, if you don't have money, not even leaving the country. Traveling changes your eyes, and that's the important thing.
0: I, I feel 100 percent the same way. Just just taking baby steps. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to go all gung ho, and I think people. They don't understand that. Like, they'll go and buy a round-the-world trip ticket and, uh, you know, try to see 20 countries
1: in one month or something, you know, <laughs> something ridiculous. Just like, a... just, like, you know what's cheap? Hitchhiking. Like, go yeah. travel the States hitchhiking. I think that's what I might do this fall. I want to, like, uh, I have Even hitchhiking tried...
0: terrifies people, though. Yeah, some people.
1: Oh, God, I know. I, if you're a girl, I get it. Um, <laughs> I guess maybe if you don't have my background, I get it, too. Uh, it's also I that
0: fear of the really unknown right. as well.
1: Yeah. Well, the fear of the unknown. Oh, I love the fear of the unknown. It's. Uh, I just wrote a song about it. I used to be in a rock band, and it's called "The Great Unknown." And the <laughs> chorus is, "To the great unknown, I go boldly." That's kind of like. <laughs> that's kind of my thing. Like I, uh, I'm, I'm really into that. I'm really into, uh, wh- whether it's whether it's physical adventure or some kind of. Uh, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a month in the jungles with a bunch of shamans in Brazil in January. That's going to be a different type of adventure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, well, Justin, I think uh, fear and how you handle fear is what defines you. Hmm. Defines yeah. you as a person, would you say?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, courage isn't fearless, but laughing in the face of it. Right. right. Yeah.
0: And every so, single person yeah. that you look up to and admire. Uh, from the president, you know, to whoever, they all f- experience the same types of fear of not just failure, but also of growth, too. You know, be shedding who you were to become who you want to be.
1: Yeah, I'm actually really big on that, what you just said. I, I've thought a lot about that while traveling recently, like especially a lot of time walking the mountains by myself and thought a lot about this idea of um, kind of realizing that who I am now is a result of my of, of, of studying the heroes that I did and that you know they're heroes from movies and books and things like I've said but like I but I'm currently going towards I'm currently becoming this hero in the future like I'm not done <laughs> but I am who I am now because of you know because of them in the past, and there are heroes that I have now. Like for example, I've been really getting into this author Sam Harris, who is a, just a brilliant mind, and uh, you know, so he's a hero for me. I really want to, you know, I want to be the kind of person that can talk about any subject and have a really great functioning scientific mind. So for me, he's a he's a real hero, or you know, or different writers. But you know, it's not just it's it's where you want to who do you want to be. You know, who do you want to be? Be around people like that. Read books from people like that. Like, that's how you become something. And, you know, I'm just right now, as of when I retired or whatever we want to call it, when I was 32, that was for the first time me fully being myself. And I've never been happier.
0: And that's why uh, I also have you on this call, so that I can learn how to be more like you, too. <laughs> and hopefully uh, the people who listen to this interview will uh, be inspired by your example, and uh, maybe some of this rubs off on them. Who knows? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully I don't sound too stupid. Um, <laughs> I always feel uh, nervous on these uh, interviews.
0: I don't think you sound stupid, because you have a unique perspective and uh, unique experiences that you can share with people that are far outside of what most people consider normal. Yeah. Well, if, um, if any of your listeners want to, like, add me on Facebook, I'm, uh,
1: they should do that. and I'm down to talk to anyone about anything most of the time. So um, just traveling around the States for a while, headed to South America and then Europe. Uh, but I usually have
0: Internet connection, and uh, I like making new friends, so hit me up. Okay, uh, yeah. Name, so if you guys go on to our website at openworldmag.com, uh, we'll post a link there for you. Um, Perfect. do you want to share your email address? Do you feel comfortable doing that as well?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't really use email. Just add me on Facebook. It's <laughs> Facebook. Yeah, just go to, go to, go to Danny's site.
0: So Justin, did you have anything else you wanted to, uh, leave us with or, uh, for you?
1: Hmm. I shouldn't have a closing statement. Maybe something very profound. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I were prepared, I would, uh, I would say, um, well, thank you for having me on here, and uh, uh, I love to see other people pursuing their passions and doing exciting stuff. And uh, I have looked through a lot of your photos. Uh, kind of we became friend, friends through um, uh, through uh, Johnny Ward, I guess. And, yes. Uh, yeah, man, you, you're doing you're doing cool stuff, and uh, I think that it's great that you're doing podcasts. And thank you for doing this and sharing cool stories with other people because that's what it's all about. You know, just beyond that, just be kind and do epic
0: shit yeah exactly and um, you know that's what we're really trying to do here is is kind of create this community where people can share these stories and uh, you know a lot of the traditional media out there is like you said it's fear based and um, you know it keeps people it doesn't really have a good impact on people and so we're trying to kind of reverse that repression a little bit um, Justin do you ever think that you'll be able to settle into a normal life <laughs>
1: such an interesting question um i hate it a lot though and i never i always answer it differently um i, uh, I don't know what uh, the future holds but um i'm really i'm open so uh yeah it's possible but i don't i don't really i don't see myself settling down at least not in the traditional sense um yeah that's kind of my answer but i'm open <laughs> you've tried um, it and uh, you're unhappy so, so. That i'm not so stubborn that i won't go with the flow sometimes you know Something no. happens, you know, who knows? I you know, may, may be single traveling around the world for the rest of my life till I'm an old man. Or I may be, uh, you know, just in some random country and fall in love with a little village and disappear forever.
0: Maybe uh, like 30 years from now, you're going to end up looking like Santa Claus. And then there's going to be some young kid <laughs> looking for a Burning Man ticket. And you're going to say, hey, World Nomad, <laughs> I got your ticket here. Finish yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Justin, well, thanks so much for being uh, so generous with your time. It's been a lot of fun following you and your adventures as well. Great. Thanks a lot.